Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. There is no doubt that human beings have always wondered about the reality of the world around them, about questions concerning what is really true. Philosophers and theologians have thought about this topic for thousands of years, and it's no different today. Maybe you have asked yourself the same questions. Well, in today's message, evangelist and teacher Michael Penfold takes a look at the subject of truth by surveying four major approaches to it down through the years. Rationalism empiricism, pragmaticism, and relativism. Whether you are a Bible believer or not, we're sure his discussion of this important topic will be helpful to you in evaluating the claims and plausibility of these different systems of thought when pitted against a biblical world view. Defending the faith. And I just want to clarify that before we start, we understand the limits of apologetics. It was Sir Robert Anderson, who was the head of Scotland Yard. Scotland Yard is not in Scotland. Scotland Yard is the headquarters of the British police, and it's in London. And the man that used to be the head of it was a Christian in Assembly Fellowship. His name is Sir Robert Anderson, and you can still buy his books. Said Sir Robert Anderson, the works of God might convince the reason, but it was not thus that the dead got life or the troubled conscience, peace. To weigh the evidences and embrace Christianity as the true religion is the part of a fair and prudent man. But salvation is God's work altogether. The blessing of salvation is not for the apt scholar, but for the outcast and the lost. Salvation is not for the clear head, but for the contrite heart. Salvation is not for the clever reasoned, but for the self-judged and the guilty. Salvation is not for logicians, but for sinners. Not for the wise and prudent, but for babes. So, as we start today, I'm not remotely thinking that by convincing you that Christianity is true, you tick that box and you're on the way to heaven. Defending the faith has its place. But for you to be saved, you must come as a sinner to Jesus. So let us remember that as we get into this and understand the limits of what we're doing. And let me establish first off that truth matters. Truth matters. Somewhere around here there's a courtroom. And presumably, certainly if it's anything like the UK, you go in, the first thing you have to do is you have to take an oath, you have to swear in somewhere or another to tell the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. Truth matters in the courts. Truth matters in families. I can see some mothers here today. I guarantee you within the last 12 months there's been a moment when you've looked square in the eyes of your child and said, are you telling me the truth? Truth matters in politics. Truth matters in science. Truth matters in the classroom. Truth matters to round-the-world yachtsmen. When you're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, you can't see anything as far as land goes. No, No point of reference. What do you do? You pull out a compass. And that compass will give you true north. Without that 
reference point, without that ultimate direction that says, there is one point and we know where it is, the yachtsman will be lost in a sea of relativity. Now, if truth matters in the courts and truth matters in the home, truth matters out on the ocean, how much more does truth matter when we're talking about where we all came from and what is the meaning of life and how do I know the difference between right and wrong and where am I going when I die? In fact, I could really say it like this. Rather than saying truth matters, I could say nothing else matters but truth. Ultimately, this is all that matters. What's really true? When I was about... 14, I think, we had a Bible conference in our home assembly and I was sent out of the home to stay with another Christian in the assembly and uh, there was a group of young people there and we came down for breakfast one morning and there was a guy there from Phoenix, Arizona. We were just munching on our cornflakes and he says to me, do you believe truth is absolute or relative? I'm 14. I had never heard the word absolute or the word relative, certainly not in relation to truth. And I'd never heard the question, I didn't know what he was talking about. So I said, well, you tell me what absolute and relative means and I'll tell you what I think. He said, well, if truth is absolute, that means that there are certain things that are true for all people in all places at all times. It's just the truth. It's subjective. It's absolute. If truth is relative, then, well, it could be true for you, but not necessarily true for me. It could be true on Tuesday, but not true on Wednesday. It could be true for Chinese people, but not true for American people. It's it's relative. So immediately, I, just as a 14-year-old, having had a Christian upbringing, I said, oh, well, truth is obviously absolute. So then he said, no, 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 you, you, you're, you're old-fashioned. He actually went on to say, pointing at the door of the kitchen, you can't actually prove that that door is a door. This is my first introduction to epistemology, age 14. What is epistemology? Epistemology is a branch of philosophy which studies the origin and the nature and the limits of human knowledge. So so just to put it in a little soundbite, epistemology is how do we know what we know? How do we know that that door is a door? How do we know we're all really here? How do we know that this isn't just an illusion? How do we know that we're not one of billions of universes? How do we know what we know? Can we be sure of anything? Is truth absolute or relative? Is truth subjective or objective? How do we get to the place in 21st century Canada, where when you say something about God or the Bible or creation, the immediate response of your colleagues is, oh, that's just your opinion. You ever had that? Oh, that's just your interpretation. Well, that might be true for you, but it's not true for me. Isn't that the most infuriating thing when people say that? When I was at school and you said the Bible is true, they would attack you on, no, it's not, and here's the reasons why. Now if you say the Bible is true, it's just, well, that's your opinion. And you have to tolerate me because I take the opposite opinion. And my truth is just as true as your truth, even though they're contradictory. How do we get to that place? We have to take a very short trip through history because if we go back a few hundred years to the pre-modern era when the church was supreme and uh, people believed in the Bible being a holy book of authority, you're going back to a period in time when people just automatically assumed that God was the source of truth, and that this book, whatever it said, was true. And people had that view of truth. But of course, along came a massive event called the Enlightenment. Renaissance, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, the Enlightenment, 17th, 18th, 19th century. And during that period of time, the concept of this authoritative holy book that's absolute, that's objectively true, 
was put to the one side and floating to the surface of history became not a holy divine book from heaven, but man's reasoning powers, man's ability to to reason his way to truth. And then along came the Industrial Revolution and higher criticism came in and said, well, the Bible's not really reliable and you can't say that what we've got in the Bible is the same that was originally written. Along came Darwin with his theory of evolution and eventually as we marched into the 20th century, the death of God was pronounced. Some of you may have studied philosophy and you will have heard of a man called Friedrich Nietzsche, a German philosopher. He pronounced, God is dead. We have killed him, said he. But of course, with God dead and the final reference point removed, true north obliterated, all of a sudden, how are we going to agree on what's true? Who is going to be the arbiter? Who is going to be the final say-so? Well, along came some various replacements, and they're up on the screen. I just want to go through four attitudes to truth that are floating around in our world today. Attitudes to how we know what we know. How do we know what is really true? So let's go through these one by one. Rationalism. Way back in the time of the Enlightenment, a man called Descartes, and another man called Spinoza, they came along and they proposed rationalism. The word ratio comes from Latin, and it means to reason. And what these men said was, truth is within us. We don't need to look to this authority up in heaven who's given us a holy book. Truth is within us. Man can sit down in a corner and he can reason and think his way to truth without outside help. That's rationalism. But there's another theory and it's called empiricism and it's completely the opposite. And rationalism and empiricism have been fighting it out for centuries. Empiricism says, no, no, truth is not within us. Truth is outside. Truth is without. Truth is, you start looking at the observable world around you. And knowledge comes to you from sensory experience. So the men that would have taught this would have been David Hume and Thomas Hobbes. There was a man who believed this called Bertrand Russell. He didn't die all that long ago. Bertrand Russell was a famous atheistic philosopher. This is what he said. What science cannot discover, mankind cannot know. What a statement. Unless you can put it in a test tube, unless you can touch it and feel it and smell it and sense it, you can't know anything about empiricism. But then there's another view of truth called pragmatism. And that doesn't really look at things in black and white colours. It doesn't say that certain things are absolutely true. It says, no, what's, what's true is what works. If it works, if it actually gets you where you want to be, if it has utility, if it has value, if it works, that's what we need to follow. That's the way to truth. And finally, you have relativism. <laughs> Relativism says there is no absolute truth. So beginning with Nietzsche and on into the 20th century with the postmodernists, these men said, that all values and all cultures and all lifestyles are all equally valid. Relativism. We, we, we're just in this sea of, of uh, relativism. There are no foundational presuppositions. Friedrich Nietzsche actually said, 
you have your way, I have my way. As for the right way, it does not exist. Asked where does truth come from, recently in a census in the USA, 84% of Boy Scouts said, where does truth come from? 84% of Boy Scouts said, truth comes from me. 81% of people who said they were born again said, truth comes from me. There must be an awful lot of people claiming to be born again who don't know their Bibles, but anyway. 84, over 80% of young people in the USA in that poll said, truth comes from me. Well, if truth comes from you, truth is relative. Because your idea of truth and my idea of truth may be two totally different things. So let's go back through these four and let's pull them to pieces limb from limb. Let's start with the bottom one first. Relativism. But let me make a statement and let me ask you to see if you can find the hole in this statement. Are you listening? There is no such thing as absolute truth. What is the answer when somebody says that? If somebody says there is no such thing as absolute truth, they are trying to stand on absolute truth. They're saying it's an absolute truth that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Isn't that right? Can you see that? See, the best way to deal with these people is just turn it around and throw it back at them. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Excuse me, is that an absolute truth? They have just sawn off the branch that they're sitting on. It's just mumbo-jumbo. Relativism is self-contradictory nonsense. What about pragmatism? Truth is what works, is it? A brother was telling me just last night about a lawyer that he just got someone off in a court case even though they were as guilty as sin. What does that prove? Lies work too. See, if truth is what works, then lies work. So where does that leave you? So relativism can't be true. Pragmatism can't be true. What about empiricism? Empiricism was saying that something is only true if you can actually put it in a test tube and examine it and and sense it and touch it and feel it. It's absolutely real. So David Hume, go back to the 1700s. David Hume, Scottish. He said, now this is a famous quote. Let me quote it to you. This is the very basis for empiricism. If we take in our hand any volume. Now this is a very interesting statement. So, let's take in our hand a volume, the Bible. If we take in our hand any volume of divinity, in other words, the Bible, or a school of metaphysics, for instance, let us ask, so he's now determining, are we going to believe this volume? Let us ask, does it contain any abstract reasoning concerning quantity or number, like like mathematics? Is it just sort of an abstract piece of reasoning? Or, does it contain any experimental reasoning concerning matter of fact or existence. So what he's saying is, pick up a volume. Does it have any mathematics in it? No, no mathematics in it. Does it have any science in it? No, no science in it. Then this is what he says. If not, commit it to the flames. For it can be nothing but sophistry and illusion. See, what David Hume is saying is this. Unless you can actually prove something scientifically in the laboratory, burn it. Nothing else is true. That's empiricism. Hold on a minute. Can you see the flagrant contradiction in what he's saying? See the quote that I gave. Is it maths? The quote that he just said. Is it science? No. It's just sophistry. It's just an illusion. He has to burn his own statement. He's saying, does that book contain maths or science? If not, burn it. What he just said is not maths and science. It's a theory. Burn it. So empiricism self-combusts. Empiricism is not a basis for truth. 
So relativism has to go, pragmatism has to go, empiricism has to go. What about rationalism? Can we just think our way to truth? Can we sit down in a corner and can we just think our way to truth? Man has been trying to do that for centuries. And Plato and Aristotle and uh, Socrates, they sat in a corner and they thought their way to what they thought was truth. And then a few years later, along came Nietzsche and Kierkegaard and Paul Sartre and all the rest of them. And they sat in a corner and they thought about a bunch of things and they came up with a completely different answer. Just south of us, there's a big country called the USA and they have a constitution and then it says there are certain truths that we hold to be self-evident. Well, you need to be careful with that because what's self-evident to President Obama seems to be very different to what was self-evident to Abraham Lincoln. So, what we're saying is this. Yes, human beings made in the image of God have intuition and have a conscience and will be right on a whole bunch of things, but without God... Without an ultimate point of reference, without an ultimate objective authority, man cannot be depended on to reason his way to the correct answer, to the absolute objective standard of truth. There are seven billion people in this world. We potentially have seven billion opinions reasoned out. But man's reason on its own can go terribly wrong. Why? Because man is a sinner by nature and by practice and his reason has been corrupted. And the thoughts of his heart are often only evil continually. Now, let me just take a step back here. Let's just imagine for a moment, terrible thought, that there is no God. That this is all an accident. That evolution is really true. That we're all here just through a process of random, purposeless, genetic mutation and natural selection. Here we all are. Wonderful. So what's in this skull of yours? You say, my mind. Oh, no, 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 no. Not if there's no God. Not if evolution as a grand theory is true. You don't have a mind. You have a brain. Nothing else. There is no such thing as a mind. A mind is an immaterial thing. No, no. You just have neurons. You just have DNA. You have selfish genes. Carl Sagan, prominent, well-known American atheistical astronomer, he said, famous, famously said, the cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. Cosmos is just a fancy word for the universe. The universe is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. He framed that sentence to make it sound religious. If the cosmos is all that is, or was, or ever will be, there are no angels, there are no demons, there are no souls, there was not a resurrection or a virgin birth, there is no God, there is no heaven, there is no hell, and what's in your cranium is just matter, not mind. Now, here's the question. If this three pounds in your skull, if that came about by mindless, unguided processes, how can you trust what's going through your head right now? How can you trust it? How can you depend upon what's conscious in your head if it is just the random, physical firing of neurons in your head. Even Charles Darwin recognized this problem. He wrote a letter on the 3rd of July, 1881, which is in his autobiography. Listen to what he said. This is Charles Darwin, the man who is credited with the theory of evolution, certainly the most well-known man, and put it on the map in 1859. Charles Darwin, an Englishman, he said this. With me, the horrid doubt always arises. 
whether the convictions of man's mind, which has developed from the mind of lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. Do you see what he's saying? Would anyone, this is Darwin, would anyone trust the convictions of a monkey's mind if there are any convictions in such a mind? Listen, listen. If there's no God and if evolution is true, next time you see someone on the internet, on television or wherever you see him, some big atheistic philosopher or evolutionist spouting off what he believes, all you're hearing is the firing of neurons in the back of his head. It could be a load of rubbish. How do you know it's true? Taking his position, coming from where he's coming from, how can the mindless, unguided processes of evolution lead to truth coming out of his mouth? He does not have the basis for truth. And anyway, who is he? He thinks he knows the truth from this three pound of grey matter. He is just a speck on planet Earth. Planet Earth is just a speck in the solar system. The solar system is just a speck in the Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way galaxy is just a speck in this vast, vast cosmos, this vast universe. And here's this proud, arrogant, atheistical professor who thinks he knows the truth when he wasn't there at the beginning, when he wasn't there when life began, when he'll be dead and buried in a moment of time. Nietzsche, he wrote, God is dead, and he signed Nietzsche. When his death was announced, somebody wrote, Nietzsche is dead, signed God. They've all gone, and all their crazy theories have gone with them. Yes, man has certainly come up with all kinds of views about the nature of truth. Well, do they stand up to logical scrutiny? Are they coherent in themselves? Do they stand up to reality? Have you ever considered the biblical worldview, what God thinks about these things? Surely that's where we should go first, don't you think? Next week, Mr. Penfold continues with the topic, Truth, How God Reveals It. Be sure to tune in. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul. 